I'm really excited about today. Um, I don't, yeah, let me start here. One of the things that I I really want to be cautious of most days is um, I never want to just kind of oversell this spiritual side where God speaks to me and you all got to listen. But there are uh, days, weeks where I'd go, I think God's up to something. And when I say that, and I want to just be really candid here, like God doesn't speak to me any more special than he can speak to you. Never in my life am I more than about 80, 85% certain it's God's voice. I'm not saying I have this really great mouthpiece and you should listen and all those kind of things. But I'll tell you, as, as I've worked through this week, just very candidly with you all, if you're a Christian, uh, maybe you can understand this. If you're not, really glad you're here and I think it'll be worth your time. I would say there, there has been uh, a couple words I'd use, oppression, um, obstacles, uh, anxiety, all those things. I'd go, man, there really feels like there is this genuine force that's just kind of like, like gravity that's like pulling me away from trying to chase after God and uh, really feel good about it, feel like God's up to something. But I just would say, just real quick, that I do actually think this is going to be a unique message as a result. So I genuinely believe that there's something that is here for us that God wants us to hear. And I actually think there's been a little bit of a battle as a result. Again, if you're new here, this isn't something I usually say, oh, this is all God. It's not, I mean, I'm just telling you, there's just been an interesting thing. My spirit is kind of whispering, and I think there's something uh, definitely worth your time. So if you're a um, believer, I'd say, hey, let's lean in really hard here. Um, some of this is going to be tough, tough stuff to talk about. Um, if you're not a Christian, if you're not quite sure about this God thing or Jesus thing, I can't think of a better week for you to be here. And I'm not going to try to manipulate you with emotions or that kind of stuff. But I'm just going to kind of lay out what I think is from God as a, according to his word. You know, if you are new or have been here for a while, let me, let me just kind of remind you, I don't really have anything good to tell you. Uh, in fact, I, I, I just, my opinions don't really matter that much. I mean, you've got opinions, i got opinions, and I'm going to sit here and share my opinions and hope that changes things. We're, we're all in trouble. As a result of that, Every single week, we try to be very intentional about opening up God's Bible and reading from it and responding to his words, right? So his words seem to make sense to me. And so if you don't know much about the Bible, I wouldn't say it's a checklist. Uh, it's not any of those kind of things. It was written over 1,600 years of time through multiple authors, all with one story and one thing that God wants you to know. And it was basically God going, hey, here's my heart for how much I love you and what kind of plan I have for you. It's just this really beautiful redemptive story. And so um, that's what we're going to read through today. And what we've been doing the last couple of weeks is just starting right at the beginning um, in uh, the book of Genesis. And so we've just been working through that. By the way, the word Genesis means in the beginning in, uh, in the Greek. And so this is kind of a Greek translation of the Hebrew that says, hey, Genesis is the beginning of all things. So when you think about the origin, that's Genesis. And so we've been open up the God's Word and going, okay, how did all this start? Where did this world get designed from? All that kind of stuff. By the way, that word Genesis, you'd also see the word genes in there. That's intentional, same word, right? Not J-E-A-N-S, but G-E-N-E-S, meaning that information, uh, that scientific, you know, communication that goes from um, parent to offspring, right, that's charged with all sorts of interesting things from how your fingernails look to what kind of... um, response you'll have to life. And so even in that, from the very beginning, we're seeing this word genes going, let me just tell you how all this gets passed to us. So here we are thousands of years later, and there's some really neat stuff that we can consider there. So I would recommend if you haven't listened to the first three weeks, you can go online, clcfamily.church, and catch up. But here's kind of the big premise. Uh, started with this idea that the world that we're living in is not the one God designed. So every time you cry, which happens for us, every time you feel pain and sorrow, literally, every time tears are shed, 
that actually is a reminder of that, right? Like we know in our heart that people aren't supposed to die. We know that people aren't supposed to be broken and mean. Every time tears are shed in our life, it is actually our response to go, there's something off here. In fact, one of the neat things that God tells us in his redemptive story in Revelation when he makes all things right, you know what he says? He says, there will be a day where there'll be no more tears or pain. So that's available. That's what God's offering. That's part of his redemptive story. So just those tears from the very beginning. Every time that happens, you go, yep, this isn't how God wired it. So you go, well, if that's not how God wired it, then why is it this way? And the first thing we saw was that in the beginning, there was nothing and there was something. And we'd go, that would require a creator to do it. And if a creator would do it, why would he do it? And there's lots of things to think about there. One, when you design something, is because you're made to design it. God can't help it. He's just wired to create. You are too, by the way, um, as a result of being made in his image. The other thing is uh, when people design things, it's because they actually want you to marvel at their creation, right? Like a a piece of art, people want you to appreciate the beauty of it. So creator God who designed, because he's wired to design, created all things for one of the reasons is for us to be pretty impressed with it. So go go take the road trip, look at the Grand Canyon, sit out underneath the stars. Every time you do that, that's you worshiping this creator. Even if you don't know it, when you go and play outside, it's called recreation, which is just the word recreation. You're literally involved in God's creation. And so there's something in us that's really important there. And so God creates for us to appreciate it and marvel at it. That, that's worship. That's what he wants us to do, glorify him and worship him. But there's a, this other piece that goes, well, if the creator created, not just to be marveled at, why does he create human beings? And Really, a, an interesting and, I think, um, explanatory reason is because he actually wanted you to live on this planet. He likes you. He loves you. And if he didn't want you to be here, you wouldn't be here. That's just creator God having his way and all that. And you'll get to hear next week about when God looked at a world that actually couldn't be good and all it was going to do is bring pain. God actually removes that, removes a whole generation of people because there is nothing good left in the generation. But right now, God loves you, created you. And so he made you and is pretty impressed with you. In fact, in Psalm 45, it says, listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. So this is talking about all people. Uh, listen, O daughter, forget your people in your father's house. So it's just this passage that God is talking to all humankind. He's referring to it in, a, in a, the feminine sense, but all of us, listen, O daughter, consider and give ear. Uh, forget your people in your f- father's house. And he says, for the king, that's him talking about us, is enthralled by your beauty. That Hebrew word is the word ava, and it literally means to be completely captivated by him. So creator God creates you, me, in his image, and he is mesmerized and captivated by his creation, and he creates it for us to be in a relationship with him. If you look at this story of the Bible, it's a love letter of a bunch of people who have turned their back on God, and he says, but see how much I love you. I created us to spend an eternity, you and me and him forever. That was his plan. Which is really why you go, well, then why don't I feel connected to him? Why don't I feel loved as a result of all this? And we go, well, if you look at Genesis chapter 2 and chapter 3, we covered the last couple of weeks, what we discovered in the very beginning is while God had a plan, wanted it all to be right and whole and good, we go, we like our plan better than yours, God. And we self-select out of this relationship and say, we don't want you in our life. We don't want you to be God in our life. We'd rather be our own God which is what sin is. And while we don't get to rehash all this, what we realized and talked about last week is the way that sin works is sin starts with this idea that we put ourselves in God's place. And as a result of that, what eventually happens is we start seeing other people as a means to our end and pleasure. You see this with Adam and Eve, and we actually even spend a little bit of time going, why in the world do we do these things? And what we've discovered, and you'll be familiar with this, or at least maybe agree with it, that um, when people do something wrong, which is what's wrong with our world, that that's a behavior, right? 
But nothing starts with a behavior, right? It's not just a behavior. Behavior is kind of at the, the end of it. And you go, okay, how do people do bad things? You're like, some people are just wired that way. It's, no, 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 no. We all have this propensity in us. And so we can't just look at the behavior. We have to go, well, what led to that behavior? And here's what we can understand. It's actually our beliefs that lead to this behavior, right? So you have some kind of behavior. And I would, let me just offer one to you, races, right? Racism is this idea that some people believe that there's a race that's more superior than others. It's a lie straight from the pits of hell. And you go, how in the world do people end up that way? Well, because somewhere along the way, they've developed these beliefs that have told them that. Uh, maybe that's in their family of origin. Maybe that's the college they went to. Maybe that's a bad experience they had with a different race, whatever it is. But there's some kind of belief that's wrong and ungodly and sinful and inappropriate that says, my race is better than your race. That's a belief. And then all of a sudden, you see ridiculous things happen. People put on white capes and do all sorts of horrendous things. You go, how in the world do you end up there? Well, that's their beliefs. You go, where do those beliefs come from? And it's actually pretty simple. Our thoughts determine our beliefs, right? You think about something long enough. You heard your parents talk about it long enough. Our thoughts about you, about your image, about what you think, determine our beliefs, and our beliefs determine our behavior, right? Let me just be really candid here. This is going to be uncomfortable for us, right? Right now, we are beginning the season of swimming. We're about to swim. Some of you are parents, and your kids are going to want you to swim with them, right? You, that's just a part of play, a part of the new thing. So what's interesting is this actually alludes to this idea that Adam and Eve show up and realize that they are naked and feel shame. Some of us have these thoughts about our body image, we don't like the way we look. We've been told it. Our parents have told us. Someone else told us. Someone pointed out the stretch marks, called us fat, said something. And we have these horrific thoughts about the way that we look. As a result of these thoughts, this is, this is just part of our world, right? As a result of these thoughts that we have about ourselves and the way we look and the thoughts about what other people must think about us and how they participate in thinking about us. So we have this thought that people are noticing our bad body image. So now we have these beliefs that we can't be exposed in any way around other people. Right? There are times that you would want to swim and play with your kids in the pool or in the beach. And I'm not talking about moms. I'm talking about dads as well, okay? And there's this belief of what you look like in a bathing suit determines that you're not going to swim. So now all of a sudden you have these behaviors where your kids are going, hey, we just want to swim. And you're going, ah, not right now. I'm not, I got something else to do. It's not really about something else to do. It's actually about this whole thing going on. And that's just one example of these thoughts we've had that have been put into our heads a long time ago, have determined some kind of beliefs about who we are, and therefore there's behaviors as a result of it. So as we looked at this, we saw it with Adam and Eve, first the snake, the serpent, the Satan, comes and says, really, really? Like God really wants that for you? Like just in this snarky, disrespectful point. And then as I, I start talking about this piece of fruit, really, God doesn't want you to have a piece of fruit. Let me tell you what you should believe. God is so insecure, he's afraid you'll be like him. So now this is new belief. As a result of this belief, there's this behavior that comes out of it, right? And so just in looking at this process of how in the world does all this bad stuff enter into our world, and it starts with entering our mind. Then as that gets firmed up, as foundationally, becomes a belief for us. And as soon as it's a belief, now all of a sudden our behaviors are different. You know, what's interesting is this all shows up in the Bible. And this is why I love psychology. This is why I love brain science. Is we're, we're now discovering things that we can map in the brain. And we're discovering things about human behavior and how we interact. That's all been in the Bible forever. We're just actually just now learning it. In fact, one of the things that's going on now is this is something called, I'm not going to write it all up, but it's called cognitive behavior therapy. Okay, in cognitive behavior therapy, a really neat way by which therapists can interact with a client and work through all this thinking, cognitive stuff in their brain. By the way, that's why I'm such an advocate of counseling. That's why we have New London Counseling Center. I believe everybody should do some work here. But here's how cognitive behavior therapy kind of takes place. It's the same thing. 
they basically look at, uh, you know, a lot of times you think you've got to go talk about all your deep, dark feelings and what your parents did to you, all that kind of stuff. Cognitive behavior therapy doesn't always dive into all that. It just dives into an event. We don't know what the event is, some event in your life. Maybe it was recent. Maybe it was a spout with your spouse this past week. Maybe it was something from years ago. There's just an event. Something happened. Something happened. And as a result of something happened, what we realize is you have thoughts about the event. Now, what cognitive behavior therapy will tell you is what kind of thoughts you have here determine a lot of things. And here's what it's going to determine. Your feelings. Right? So let's just go back to the bathing suit idea. Some event in your past where someone made fun of you, you saw something, thought something, and you were concerned about your body image. Then you have these thoughts about that. And then you have all these feelings. Shame, disappointment, embarrassment. And then, as a result of these feelings, you have a behavior. You see, these are just the same things. Beliefs are just intellectual. Feelings are just emotional. But we're just looking at the same stuff. So last week, what we saw is we saw with Adam and Eve this response of they had some thoughts, had some beliefs, and all of a sudden it determined some really bad behavior. You know, what we're going to see today is just uh, with uh, Adam and Eve's offspring, Cain and Abel, they're going to have some events in their life. As a result of events, they're going to have some thoughts. And what God's going to do, because he is so gracious, he's actually going to ask them to pause for a second and reflect on their feelings. So there's an interesting thing here. We got an interesting thing that we've got to acknowledge, and counselors and therapists will tell you this, is you have these feelings for a reason. Something gets revealed in these feelings. It's really nice, because sometimes we don't know our beliefs. But if we can pause long enough to think about our feelings, now we can show up our beliefs. And there's a couple things here. Not only do you have feelings, at some point, you have to actually feel those feelings, right? So you have feelings, you have to feel them so you can start figuring out what's going on because it's revealing all this stuff in our thoughts, right? And then all of a sudden we have these behaviors. So we're going to see with Cain and Abel, Adam's and Eve's first offspring, this really, really broken stuff. Now, the other thing we're going to see in Genesis chapter 4 is that in this story, the word sin, S-I-N, the word that I'd say, that's the brokenness, the problem with all of our world, how it got all corrupt, that word sin, meaning miss the mark, go the wrong direction, put you in, in God's place, right? This is the first time that word actually shows up in Scripture. So if you want to think about how broken our world is, right here in Genesis chapter 4, we're just going to explain it all in a nutshell and try to figure out what we can do differently. So that's going to be lots of fun. And so Genesis chapter 4 is where we're going to be. I'm going to read all uh, 17 verses or 17 verses of it today. It's going to be up here on the screens. We're going to jump right in. I'm reading from the New International Version today, if you're, uh, if you're keeping track at home or whatever that is. Here we go. Here's what it says, and this is going to be fun. You ready? Uh, Adam made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth man. Lots going on here already. If you weren't here last week, uh, one of the things that we found out is that God is still gracious and loving, but Adam and Eve chose their own plan, and they have some consequences for it. One of them is pain in childbirth. Another is having to leave the garden. And yet God is still very gracious and allows them to uh, be fruitful and multiply. In fact, one of the things that God tells us in Genesis chapter 3 is that he's actually going to send through Eve's offspring, a descendant of Eve, someone who's going to come and save the day. That's pointing to Jesus. And so that promise begins right here with these offspring, Cain and Abel. And so all of a sudden what we see is it says that they had a child and Eve recognizes that this is a gift from God. Now, it makes sense, it makes sense that we talk about this first part, really more the trivia piece of it. doesn't really matter for the sermon, but I'll feed you baby birds. Here's what it says in the beginning of that. Adam made love to his wife Eve. Um, there is no Hebrew word for made love, by the way. Um, in fact, in its like rawest form, it actually says, now Adam knew Eve. That's actually how it would say, oh, I know Eve, right? That's actually how it is. And it's the Hebrew word yada. 
right? So the next time you say yada, 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 from wherever that is, you've got to be careful because that's what you're saying here, right? So Adam, yada, 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 Eve. You got it? Follow me? Yada, 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 yada. Be careful of that word. You don't know what you're saying, right? You know how your kids do that sometimes? Well, we do it too. Thanks a lot, Seinfeld. Adam made love to his wife Eve, yada, 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 and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain, and she recognizes this is a gift from God. You know, if you think about this, don't have a lot of time to think here, or pause here, but this is the first time this has ever happened in the history of the world. Like, we don't know if God preps her for what's going to happen in her belly, uterus, and all that kind of stuff. Like, we don't know if God pulled out a, you know, a flip chart and said, here's what's going to come down, or whatever that is. All we know is when all this happens, like we know, right? You see it in Genesis 3. There's a promise of some, some warfare, is that we know what happens in the living room, and it's it's warfare. It's messy, and it's broken, and it's complicated. And some of the thoughts we have about bathing suit season are as a result of all this, right? And so you have all this kind of stuff. So we have no idea what this would have been like for Eve this very first time. We just know that this was complicated. And Eve pauses and goes, that was crazy, but God, you were good. Like in this, she saw the gift of life, which you ever held that kid for the first time? You you know that moment. I can remember staring at Briggs and looking at his fingernails and going, those are my fingernails. Those are my fingernails. There's just something so mesmerizing about that and going, God, this is such a gift. And he doesn't sleep and he wipes poop on the walls. But in this moment, it's a gift, right? So she gave birth, really, really excited. God provides. Verse 2, later she gave birth to his brother Abel. No, Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. So we don't know if this is two different births. We don't know how this works. Could be twins. There's some assumptions that this probably is based on how it's described. I don't really know. We just know we got two brothers. We got Cain, the older brother, and then we have Abel. They're both there. And this hierarchy that goes throughout Middle Eastern culture, you see some expectation and some precedence of what happens for the older brother in terms of inheritance, all these kind of things. The oldest, the eldest, there's just some expectations that they behave a certain way, all this kind of stuff. We don't know about that kind of stuff. All we know is Cain and Abel, they're there, and we got two things. Abel kept flocks, Cain worked the soil. So we got a farmer and a shepherd, right? This is what they do. That's all we know. So there's lots of gaps here. We don't know what their childhood was like. We know none of that kind of stuff. We know they have a broken mom and dad because we find that out in Genesis chapter 3, which, by the way, is also interesting because one of the approaches to therapy is uh, the, fam- the food, the family of origin work, right? What you do is you do the work trying to figure out how you were shaped from in utero all the way up having to do with your mom and dad, whether they are present, whether that you attach to them, all these different things. And in, in some ways, so I like the cognitive behavior therapy. It gives us a little bit more personal responsibilities. In many ways, therapy can go, see, this is what happened as a result of your mom and dad, right? So you get to kind of assign some of these things to your parents. And good job, parents. You're going to get to break your kids as well. And so you get to assign these things to your parents in terms of why you behave the way you do. You go, well, then who do they get to assign it to? Mom and dad? Guess what they had? They had family of origins as well. So some of the damage in our lives is a result of the damage in our parents' life, which is the result of the damage of their parents' life, which is the result of the damage of their parents' life. You follow me? We can do this for a while. And you go, well, where does all that start? And we're going, Cain and Abel, Adam and Eve, right? So Adam and Eve had this child, and there is sin and brokenness in the world, and you're going to see it start to wreak havoc in these two kiddos' life. So we know one's a farmer, one's a shepherd, so one's a cowboy, one raises corn, right? You got this deal. You understand it. We understand this in our culture. So you got a shepherd and a farmer. So this is what we have. In the course of time, Cain 
brought some of the fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. A couple things to point out here. In the course of time means some kind of indefinite period. This isn't a... Um, this isn't an urgent word. It's the opposite of urgent. It's like laid back. It's like Caribbean time, right? This isn't, this is, we got to do it fast, right? This is laid back time. In the course of time, in some course of time, Cain decided to bring fruit of the soil as an offering to the Lord. So Cain brings the stuff. The word offering there, really important, is the word minha, and it just means a dedication offering, meaning they are going, Cain is bringing this to God, and the idea of a dedication offering is you saying, God, you are the most valuable thing in my life. You are far superior to these resources. You are creator. This is creation, and what I'm doing is I'm acknowledging in this moment that you are greater than this creation. I'm bringing it back to you because I can't offer you anything else, and it seems silly. I'd give you this, but there's nothing else I can give you, right? It's like the little notes that your kids make for you when they're three years old. They're not that pretty, right? They're just not pretty. They're not fancy. They're not worth anything monetarily. And yet you see them in that moment going, I love you, mom. I love you, dad. And I'm sorry your face looks so deformed in the picture, but I still love you, right? I made you a piece of pottery. Thanks. Thanks for the ashtray. I don't smoke, right? Whatever it is, right? And so you got all these different things. And so in these moments, what you see is this idea of an offering is someone come back and dedicating, going, God, you are greater than all these things, right? So Cain, at some period of time, decides to do that. Minha, to make this uh, dedication. So there's a couple different things. One's like a grain dedication. That's the word minha. You see another one, the word korban, which actually means like a blood sacrifice. That's a different type of offering where there's a shed blood. But pay attention to this because it gets interesting. So Cain brings this minha, this dedication offering going, God, I just want to give you my best. Or I want to give you something to declare that you're better than my best, right? That was how that works. Then verse 4. And Abel, he also brought an offering. Also that word minha. Um, and uh, let's see, fat portions of some of the firstborn of his flock. And the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. So brother, the farmer, the shepherd, he brings, and it says a couple things. He brings a minha. What's interesting is this is an animal, so an animal of blood being shed, but it's not the korban word you see later. Not that it matters for this moment. But what happens here, he's bringing an offering. Again, this is a dedication offering, just going, Jesus, God, you're better than my best offering. You are alone of the course of my salvation. You are the only way by which life happens now and all in the future. It is all about you, Jesus. Here it is. And what we do see here is it actually says, very importantly, that he brought the fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So a couple things to point out there. The firstborn is pretty interesting because you're not guaranteed more. So as Abel's bringing this, this is, and it even tells us in 1 John and Hebrews that this is an act of faith from Abel. He's going, God, you are greater than my best things on this earth. In other words, I may not be able to eat, but you are better than that. And I believe you alone are the source of provision. Not what I do with my own work, not that I'm in control of my own life. Jesus, God, you are in control of all these things. That's what you see here in that moment. And then it even talks about the, the fat uh, here. The word it says is fat portions. A couple things to point out there. There is no electricity in this century, or at least we don't think there is, right? So we don't have very many options for fuel. They don't know exactly how to get all the fossil fuels out yet, right? They haven't learned to drill and mine. And so there are very few ways to create energy pretty quick. So you can create a fire in some ways, create a spark. But one of the fastest ways to carry energy with you was animal lard, fat. So this was a very valuable commodity in this time period because this is the way by which that, uh, that you would be able to create heat and, and cook animals, whatever it is that Animal fat was really, really important. And what's interesting about the, what they would do with animal fat is they literally lighted it on fire. 
So they bring it to an altar, and they light it on fire and watch it. It would almost seem um, like poor stewardship. All this energy just being consumed, and they would, they would smell in the odor of that and just declare that God is good. That's how that would work. And so Abel brings this first animal, his pretty fancy little baby animal, and he brings it to them and slaughters it. Seems like really poor stewardship, right? Why would you kill the animal? And why would you uh, light all the fat on fire? And what Abel was saying in this moment is, God, you are greater than my greatest things, right? And so he alone has got to say, he's saying, God, you alone are my provider. I'm not worshiping creation. I'm not putting my hope and my ability to raise more animals. And I'm not even putting hope in my last thing or my first thing. It's all in you, so here it is. So you have these two different offerings. And it says, in this moment, the Lord looked with favor. That means he turned his face towards, looked towards. He was pleased. He felt honored by Abel's gift. Now, watch what it says here. Verse 5, but on Cain and his offering, same word Minhas, the only word we've seen all the way across the board so far, he did not look with favor, looked away didn't look towards it, right? Wasn't impressed by it. Didn't appreciate it. All those things, right? Uh, Did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry. Got some feelings showing up now. And his face was downcast. That term literally means your, it's like a Hebrew um, idiom. It means your face has fallen, which is a description for depression. So he was angry and that anger turned to depression. That's what we see here. So we have these two offerings, two different people. And so he goes about Abel's offering, really pleased, and Cain's offering, he's really disappointed. And you go, well, why is this? And there's been a lot written on it. And uh, the reason I've talked so much about that word minhaz, it's really important here because what some people would argue is that the reason that uh, Abel's offering was more valuable to God than Cain's was because it was a blood offering, because blood was shed, right? In terms of the foreshadowing, that innocence has to be literally murdered or killed for the covering of our sin, right? You see it in Genesis chapter 3. They were naked, felt no shame. Then all of a sudden, sin in the world, and they realized they're naked. They tried to put some temporary fig leaves on it. It wasn't enough. And so we see the first sacrifice in Genesis chapter 3 where God slaughters an innocent animal, first bloodshed, to literally cover their shame, right? And that's uh, foreshadowing to God's son, Jesus, who's called the Lamb of God, shows up on this planet, and his blood is shed to cover all of our shame and all of our sin for all eternity, right? The Genesis chapter 3 is a band-aid, a band-aid. What happens with Jesus is actually a permanent solution, right? So you got one that points to the other. And so some would say, well, the, the reason that God is more pleased with Abel's sacrifice is because it's more like the foreshadowing of what Jesus is going to do, blood is shed. But if that were to be the case, you go, well, that's not really fair because Cain doesn't have animals, right? And so God's mad because he made one a farmer and the other a shepherd, and Cain chose the wrong profession, well, there you go. Just ruined your life by just choosing the wrong profession, right? And so he goes, is that what it is? But then you look more at that Hebrew word. If it would have been about bloodshed, if it would have been about that, that animal sacrifice, it would have been the Hebrew word korban. This is the only time in scriptures where it talks about a meat sacrifice, an animal sacrifice, as the word minha, right? Which is pretty interesting because every other time it talks about animals being slaughtered, it's the word korban, meaning this, is, this points to an innocent blood being shed. It's a reminder that death happens to cover our sins, right? And so, it's, so this is the only time you see it in scriptures, which would allude to the fact that this is just a dedication offering on either side. This is both of these guys going... Jesus, our God, we want to bring this to you and celebrate you for who you are as creator, and we want to give you back your creation and acknowledge that you're greater than these things. So if that's the case, what you see in the important part here, and this is what it says in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, that's in the New Testament, talking about uh, Cain, Abel had faith, meaning he actually was trusting God to be his provider later, where Cain goes, 
I guess I'll throw him a couple of cucumbers. See the difference? Like you got this stockpile and Cain's going, ah, that one looks like it, uh, the expiration's about to empty. So let me toss that one towards God. Oh, that one doesn't have much of a shelf life left. Let me toss that one. So it says in some indefinite period of time, not urgently, Cain brings these things and go, oh God, here you go. And so what we see here is we see religion show up for the first time, which is what we do, right? So, and, and the reality is, here's kind of what you got to understand. There is only two reasons why you would ever give an offering to God, okay? It sounds really reductionistic, but it's the case. And I'm, let me talk to, uh, not to be a Christian, understand this. When we offer something to God, Yahweh, Allah, whatever, whatever that higher power you think, regardless of what it is, there's only two reasons you would ever, ever, in any, in any religious sense, offer a offering, one is to gain salvation, right? Uh, even you think about terrorists and what they do, they martyr themselves to gain what it is they want in eternity. The virgins, the peace, whatever it is, right? And so when you offer an offering, there's one of two reasons. One, you offer it for salvation, right? And the church has done a really bad job here of saying, if you give to God, he will bless you. If you give to God, he will save you. If you give to God, he'll turn his face towards you, right? All these different things. So this idea of an offering, many people give offerings to try to earn their salvation and um, appeasement from God, right? So many of you uh, will, will throw a $10 bill heading out the door on the way out to our offering baskets. And part of it is going, well, I want God to notice that, and I want God to bless that, and just in case this is real. I'm not sure if you're real, God, but if it is, here it is, just in case, right? So the reason many of us give offerings, and this is religious, is to earn salvation. But I'm not even talking about mon monetary offerings. I'm talking about all that we do in terms of the, our behavior, why we go to church, why we don't speed, why we work in children's ministry. For many of us, is we're trying to make God happy with our performance. We're trying to appease God. And in this case, Cain throws a couple cucumbers back to God just in case that's how he gets his salvation. So one reason many of us give offerings, and it's inappropriate, and I'd say if this is the reason that you give here, please stop. Please stop. Please stop giving financially. And this is the reason here. And I mean, really, I was thinking about something. Let me tell you, because it's in my brain now. Um, there's this pastor, and he's a buddy of mine. He's uh, more of an acquaintance. And he was talking about how one of his um, churchgoers won the lottery. Okay, I don't know. I mean, not the big one, but $100,000 or more lottery. And the churchgoer wanted to give an offering to the church. And he's like, I can't accept that offering because you know it came from gambling, and that's a sin. So I just told him, I'm not going to accept that offering. And I was like, Hey, can you give me his number? <laughs> you know, ain't that big of a deal, you know? So just think about that. But anyway, hear me and all this thing. Please do not give if you think that what you're going to get out of it is your salvation. So that, that would be one reason. Sorry, that was not in the notes. Goodness. Um, that would be one reason many of us give is to earn our salvation, which is inappropriate and doesn't come from God. And, and you can see God not really interested in that. This idea that some cucumbers or some dollars can reconcile us with God. Like, do you understand how far away from God we are and what we've done to offend him and disrespect him when we think putting some dollar bills in his basket? Do you understand what this sounds like? That's a tip He's, it, to earn his affection, right? You see how we're treating God in this? And so one way would be to earn God's salvation. The other is as a result of God's salvation. It's as a result of going, God, it's all yours anyway. You've been so gracious to me. And I just want to remind me, I want to remind my family, and I want to submit to you, God, that you alone are my provision. So I'm going to give you back what you've called me to give because in that, you alone are my salvation. This dollar, this thing, that animal, it will not sustain me. It cannot save me. So God, here it is, and I'll celebrate you as Savior and Lord and King. So here it is, and Abel goes, God, I don't even know if you're going to give me any more sheep. 
I have no idea. But here's the first one I got. God, I don't even know if we're going to have any more fuel from this fat. But here's, here's what it is. Because as I burn this, I am going to breathe in the fact that you alone, God, are the provider, and it will allow me to walk in some freedom. And what you'll see, and this is not, I mean, it, it's biblical, but even from a practical standpoint, think about the people that are the most fun to be around. Have the most fun, the nicest. The, there's something really interesting about them, is they're all really generous. Like they're really generous because they understand that those things doesn't buy their value. Like there's just something about generosity that is just breeds joy and salvation. So you got Abel going, God, it's all yours. And Cain going, here's some cucumbers. So God looks towards Abel's and is really pleased. He hasn't called it sin. He hasn't done those kind of things. There's some stuff going on. He looks towards Abel's and he is pleased. And he looks towards Cain's and he's not. And Cain is aware. And it says that he is angry. And that anger, which happens all the time, has now turned into depression. So you would think in this moment that this would be a good time to reprimand Cain. Cain, if you just would have trusted me, if you had done all those things, like this would be a really good time just to call out his sin blatantly and say, get your junk together, Cain. But that's not what God does. And he does something really, really neat. And watch what he does next. Verse 6. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? See what he's doing here? Okay, Cain, there was an event. Mm, that event probably hurt. You thought that you could please me with this. Now all of a sudden you realize that it's not there and you're feeling some shame. You're feeling some disappointment. And now all of a sudden you're angry about it. Hey, 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 let's talk about these feelings. You got them. Maybe you don't understand what's going on with your beliefs, but we can recognize that there are feelings and they're coming out. So let's deal with the feelings. Hey, Cain, Cain, why are you so angry, bud? Why are you so downcast? Now remember, every time God asks a question, it's never because he doesn't know. He's not going, I don't know what's going on with you. He is fully aware. This is not for God's benefit. This is for Cain's. He's going, could you put some words on those feelings? Because if you could, then maybe we could work this backwards and get some healing, right? And he doesn't. Now watch, God is even more gracious. He goes, okay, let me, um, let me ask you this then. Verse 7, first part. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? Hey, Cain, 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 I can see that you're angry. I can see that you did something wrong. There was some kind of event. You don't know what it is. You, don't, you, you tried to kind of bargain with me and try to sneak one past me. And now you're kind of, kind of exposed, right? And because of this event, you're exposed and you have all sorts of thoughts. I'm no good. God hates me. I don't care about God anymore. God's just trying to be in control, whatever it is. You have all these thoughts and these thoughts have turned into some feelings. So let's talk about these feelings. Because some of these feelings are probably telling you that you think that I'll never accept you, Cain. You think that I'll never welcome you and never care for you and never support you and never love you because you think somehow your behavior determines how much I love you. And now all of a sudden when your behavior is wrong, it, it came to this part where you didn't get favor. And now you're really angry. So let's talk about that, Cain. You have some feelings. You're angry. You're depressed. Can we talk about why that is? Here, Cain, I think this is probably it. Because you somehow think that you're not accepted. You think you're not accepted. So you're fighting and you're kicking because you're angry. Cain, you don't think you're accepted. So let's just talk about this. Hey, if you do what is right, will I not accept you, bud? Hey, if we can do it over, there'll be more produce. This isn't like a one time and it's over. Hey, bud, bud. Like, just think about it. When you do what's right, do you not think the God of the universe is going to wrap you up? And by the way, when you do what's right, it's not to earn my affection. You do what's right because you already have my affection. So, okay, we just got to flip this around. You think that your performance is what's going to make me love you. And you're really angry and depressed because what's happening here, Cain, is you're starting to realize that your performance isn't that good. 
So we have to have some new thoughts about this. It can no longer be about your performance. But you are still going to want to do the right thing. But the reason you're going to want to do it is because I've already given you my salvation and affection. I've already given you my acceptance. So hey, Cain, if you do what's right, bud, don't you, don't you know that you're going to be accepted? You're loved. There's nothing you could ever do to make me love you anymore. There's nothing you could ever do to make me love you any less. Hey, Cain, you get that? But hey, bud, if you don't do what's right, watch this. If you don't, if you're going to continue to be Lord of your own life, do you not understand? If you do what's right, just trust me. Trust me in all these things. Trust me. Put me in your life. Do you not understand that I'll accept you? But if you don't, Cain, and here it is. This is the first time you'll see the word sin show up in the scriptures. And it's uh, honestly really horrific to me as you look at it. And it's going to take us a second to talk about it. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. So this is the first time that God refers to sin in the scriptures, which we know is in all of us and the brokenness of our whole world. We don't have to be be a Christian and go, there is something where we're missing the mark. We don't even know why we have marks. We don't understand why we have morality. We're not even sure why we have laws. But we understand all of us really struggle with this thing. And right here, for the very first time, God points out sin, and he gives a scary descriptor of it. You see what he uses there? A predatory animal. Right? Sin is crouching at your door. It is a crouching tiger and a hidden dragon. Right? I mean, literally, what this is saying is going, you know how that cat can sit quietly for hours and hours and hours right outside that hole? Because it knows there's something it wants to eat inside there. It doesn't move. It's patient. It just sits there. And you would think it's asleep. It gets even smaller and it just crouches outside the door until it gets the moment it wants and it leaps. Right? You can, I was going to show you some, but they're too scary for me. Like all these like an, an discovery and channel and National Geographic moments where you see these lions or these tigers or these leopards just waiting. And this little animal just has no clue. No clue, right? And all of a sudden, just at this one moment, it is such a quick reflex, and it just pounces. And it bites the jugular, and with it, it breaks the neck, and with a second, it's over. Right? It just sits and waits. It's crouching. You know, um, uh, in Montana, it, it's a whole different world out there when we lived out there. And, you know, there's no cell phone service. We're dangling on the edge of cliffs. They're just, they're, they're just, it's just a whole different world. There's no rules and no regulations. So imagine uh, Pennsylvania and then think of the exact opposite, and that's Montana, right? And so out there, and you hear about bear attacks, and I mean, really, you all, we all know people out there who got attacked by a bear. Like I had friends who left their car doors open, and somehow a bear opened the door and got inside, right? And then it couldn't open the door to get back out. So imagine that happening like, oh, sorry, come on out. And the whole car is just like destroyed on the inside. But uh, you hear the bear attacks, but those are the ones that freak me out. The ones that really overwhelm me are the stories of the mountain lions. These mountain lions, they will find small predators. And I'm talking about children. And they will follow a family on a hike. And there is evidence of them doing this for days. Tracks of them doing it for days, just quietly, just slumbering, real quietly, just following this whole family around. Family is completely close to it, just waiting, waiting for their opportunity to pounce when no one's looking. 
Like that is so scary. And what God decides to describe for the very first time when he talks to Cain and Abel in this loving way, he's going, hey, bud, if you just let me be Lord of your life because you're not doing a very good job, it'll be okay. But if you don't, he describes this. This is so important here, guys, as sin is ready to pounce. You go, no, no, that's not how sin works. I'm going, no, no, it is. No, it's not that big of a deal. It's just a computer screen. It's just one white line. It's just a little bit on, the, on my taxes, whatever it is. You, you think it's real small, like that quiet animal that gets so tiny, like the rattlesnake that gets so coiled up. And the smaller it gets, the more it crouches, the more force that's going to come with the power and the bite and the penetration. So when he says this to Cain, he's literally going, hey, Cain, this is going to end badly for you. And so while I love to be gracious and want to talk about all the grace of all that God does and things, the reality is sin will wreck your life. And some of you are sitting in this room as a result of that experience. So it will wreck your life. And so we got to talk about it and go, God points out when you decide to be in charge of your life, the first thing that happens is you lose your presence with God. The second thing that happens is you start using other people for your gain. So here's what happens when that happens. First, you're lonely because God is no longer in your life. But when you start using other people for your gain, they don't want to be around you either. So just in that simple fact right there, you just will become alone fast. You'll become angry. You'll become depressed. And what God's saying here is, hey, 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 whatever that thing is, it's a lot worse than you're giving it credit for. That thing that you think is going to make you feel more worth, I promise you, I promise you, it's going to make you feel worth less. You know, it's so interesting when we talk to teenagers about premarital sex, what we say is, you don't want to do this, you don't want to get one of those STDs or whatever, whatever the term is now, you don't want those things to be bad, you don't want to do that, bad, 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 you might get pregnant, bad, bad, bad. That's our story of why we shouldn't do something. Instead of a bunch of grown married couples going, let me tell you 20 years later how my decision then still affects my marriage. Let me tell you the problems with intimacy still as a result of the decisions I made as a 15-year-old. Right? There's this whole thing. We are now, so many of us, I tell you, I would guess half this room would tell you stories about the decisions they made as a teenager that still affect their daily life. It's crouching at your door. And it's wreaking havoc. And so the picture for not engaging in that is not because you won't get something. It's because God actually has something really great in mind for you. Has a beautiful picture of that. But because we lose sight of that, sin crouches at our door. So why are you so angry? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at your door. And this is what it says. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. It desires to have you. It desires to take that position in your life. You saw that last week when it says the wife will desire the husband. That's about a positional thing. Sin desires to control you, right? Struggle with addiction? You know what that's like, right? This thing desires to control you. And it says, but you must rule over. Which, by the way, we're going to resolve in about seven minutes. But we've got to keep going first. So we're going to talk about ruling over at the very end. But here goes. It continues. Verse 8 and you can see, sin crouches at the door, very predatory. Watch what happens next. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, remember, he's got some feelings, he's angry. Let's go out in the field. This is premeditated. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. This guy in this anger, not dealing with these feelings, not dealing with this depression, all of a sudden it takes root, and the next thing you see is it murders. He murders his brother. Now watch the response. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother? Again, every time God asks a question, it's not for his benefit. He understands what's happening here. And he is literally asking Cain to finally accept some responsibility for his behavior. Where's your brother? Take responsibility. Take responsibility. Now watch what he says. 
Oh, I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? You see the snarkiness and the sass and the disrespect and the sarcasm and all that stuff. You see, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth is speaking. That's what the Bible tells us. So we get a picture of Cain's heart. It's angry and it's bitter and it's depressed. And God goes, can't you, can't you just take some responsibility? And his response is the defensiveness and disrespect. Am I my brother's keeper? Oh, I'm supposed to watch Abel because I'm the big brother. Isn't that your job, God, since you're so good at being God? Right, you see, you see how this works? He's just being so defiant. And God's going, hey, where's your brother? Take responsibility. Verse 10, the Lord said again, let's talk about the behavior now. Since we've moved past feelings of behavior, what have you done? Hey, Cain, can you pause for a second and actually put some words on your behavior? What have you done? What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. This is so, so important. I don't have time to talk about it too much today, but this is how God responds to unjust moments. He's really going, this guy's life is intrinsically valuable made in my image and my likeness. What have you done? What have you done? So then he responds. Said, uh, now you're under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened the mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be restless wanderer on the earth. So hey, there's, there's some, some real consequences. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is more than I can bear Today you're driving me from the land and I'll be hidden from your presence. I will be a wet, restless wanderer on the earth and whoever finds me will kill me. Still really self-centered in this, but he now has this experience. And here's what you got to understand, guys. Sin has consequences. But they're real consequences. And this is the weird part to talk about because I want to be so gracious and loving. You know, yeah, 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 but God is love. God loves his people. Exactly. That's why he doesn't want you to mistreat them. Sin has real consequences. Yeah, but God is so loving. He loves all people. He loves me. Exactly. That's why he doesn't want you to mistreat yourself. You see, when we look at this angry God, it's the same way that you would look at any predator who does something wrong to your child. With that anger, right? There is real consequences. There is real things that happen, and all of us wouldn't argue this. We may have a hard time understanding how God does this or allows this, but none of us would argue that there is consequences for our sin. Right? There are real consequences. So while I want us to be a really gracious church, God loves us at some point, the most gracious thing I can say to us is sin is crouching at our door, and it is, it is ready to pounce. And so there are things in our life that we have to get in order because God has a plan for us, and he's going, hey, let me go back to the verse. If you do what is right, don't you think God will accept you? If you do what is right, if you do put God back in that place in your life, don't you think he'll take care of it? Sin is crouching at your door, and there are consequences. But watch this. This is so great. It's so great. So there's a couple terms that we talk about in scriptures. While God is loving and there are consequences, two words that talk about God all the time are mercy and grace. And I want you to know this church is filled with mercy and grace. So God is really, really hard on the intent of our heart. So crazy about God. He is really, really hard of kind of identifying those things and calling it out. But he is really, really gracious when we mess up. Like, he is really, really hard on the things in our heart. But when we mess up, he is really merciful and gracious. That word mercy means God doesn't make us pay the price we deserve to pay. Now, let's think about this for Cain. What should he pay? Oh, you know it, an eye for an eye, right? Right? That's what we think. Well, if Cain kills someone, he should die. That, that's the consequence. Mercy is God not making him pay that consequence. Watch what happens. But the Lord said to him, not so. Anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. God's going, no, 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 you're not going to die. 
but you deserve to die, right? I deserve to die. That's what's going to happen. No, 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 you're not going to die because I'm merciful. I'm not going to make you pay the, con- the price that you deserve to pay. There's consequences, but I'm not going to make you pay the price for all those things. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. And John Steinbeck got a great title, right? So in this moment, the first thing we see is mercy. What we would say that Cain deserves to pay, which we've got to work through all this with this death penalty stuff, guys, as Christians. We see right here, because if anybody deserves the death penalty, it's Cain. We've got to work through this and work through this, and this isn't political. It's got, man, we've got to figure out what pro-life really means all the way across the board, right? And so what we see here in this mercy, in this moment, is that God literally doesn't require me to, to require him to die. And we know through Jesus that he's actually going to die on his behalf going to sin to Savior to do that. But watch this. That's not the only thing it said. Verse 17, Cade yada 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 to his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city, and he named it after his son Enoch. You got to pay attention to this. So mercy is not having to pay the price you deserve to pay. Grace is getting what you don't deserve in a good way. I tell you, the only thing that I care about in life. I mean, I love you guys and all those things. If there's anything that I'm afraid of is my kids walking away from the Lord and not knowing him. Because I get all eternity with my kiddos and we all get it with Jesus as long as they walk with the Lord. You know what's interesting? Cain's son, Enoch, he is actually defined and described as that man who walked with the Lord. 325 plus years he walked with the Lord and we can't even find evidence that he died. God was so gracious that Enoch, he just walked right on, he walked with God on this planet and just walked straight into eternity. And I'm going, if there is a gracious gift from God, it's that he gave him a son who'd walk with the Lord. So this guy deserved death. God doesn't make him pay it. He doesn't deserve to bring life into the world because he mistreated life. And what does he do? He gives him this beautiful son named Enoch to walk with God. So you see all this grace and all this mercy in the middle of a horrific story. Yes, sin has its consequences. Cain dealt with those for the rest of his life. He killed his brother. And yet God is so gracious. So hear me. If sin has kind of corrupted your life, made a mess, God wants you to stop that. And yet God wants to be so gracious to you. He doesn't want you to pay for all that stuff. He wants you to be welcomed into those things. How in the world do you do that? How in the world do we rule over sin? How in the world do we do that? Do you think about what he actually wanted Cain to do in the beginning? He just wanted Cain to own it. That word own it there is repentance. And here's what it actually means. It means to actually change your mind. Change your mind. It means, hey, Cain, would you not be accepted if you just trusted me, if you did the right thing? You know what the right thing is? Surrender your life. Quit being Lord of your life. So that word uh, repentance literally means to change your mind. And another way to describe it would be to turn towards the light. So Cain, would you stop walking in darkness, but would you turn towards the light? So that repentance piece shows up there. So it means to change your mind, which is interesting. Because we can look at this now. And whatever that event is in your life that's causing you to want to sin, you can look at it. Maybe, maybe there's something that just hit the fan this week that's just horrible for you. You hit a wall, you're in a messy spot with your kiddos, with your spouse, with your job, and there is something that's just pressing you. And in the past, you can go, there's no good that's going to come from it. There's no hope. It's just all hopeless. And you can have those thoughts, right? You can get to a point where you are completely out of control, which probably we are. And when you're out of control, you can make a couple decisions. You can go, I'm out of control, so I might as well just enjoy all the pleasure or just wreck more things, whatever. You can have that decision. And you can go, in that thing, you can have these feelings that say, I am hopeless. 
I am hopeless. There is no hope. I might as well just enjoy whatever it is. I might as well take my life, whatever it is. You can have all these feelings. Or you can have the same exact event where you feel out of control. You can have these thoughts that go, yep, I'm out of control. And then when you have those thoughts, you can now have these different feelings, not of hopelessness, not of shame, not of anger, but of hope of going, but I know the one who is. And what this means, repentance, it literally means to change the way you think and go, God, 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 God. There's some really, really bad stuff going on in my life. God, I have made a mess. Boy, I can't stop doing that. I can't stop seeing that. I can't stop saying that. I cannot fix me. It is either hopeless, I am unfixable, or it's hopeful, but maybe you can. And so this idea of dealing with whatever that event is, is going to God and going, I can't fix me. And going, I surrender. I surrender. And that's you putting God back in the center the way that Abel did. And so it's all yours anyway, God. It's all yours. Here you go. It's all yours. And so in that, in your feelings, not hopelessness, but hopeful. And in that, you can have a new behavior. You know what that new behavior is? The same thing that he wanted from Cain and Abel. An offering. But what's interesting, when God talks about offerings in the New Testament, he uses Paul. He talks about, in view of what God, Jesus does for us, that means he pays the price for our sin and gives us an eternal life, so mercy and grace. And he actually says this. I want to read it to you, and the band's going to come up. And this is what he says. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. He says, in view of God's mercy. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, look at this offering, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. The new behavior is going, God, I'm not going to give you the fat portions. I'm not going to give you the cucumbers. I'm going to offer my bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing. This is what you want, God. This is your true and proper. That word proper there means logical. This is our logical response. God, this is what's right. This is what you wanted from Cain. This is our, our proper worship. And this says this, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed, watch this, by the renewing of your mind to actually change your thoughts. You change your thoughts, and then when you change your thoughts, watch what happens. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. Now you can start making a better assessment about what's going on. As you change your thoughts, you now can have a new behavior where you jump back in the middle of God's will. And then he gives us a clarity about what God's will is. Oh, it's good. It's the best life you can imagine. It is so good. Doing the right thing is so good. It's better than you ever imagined because that's how God wired you. And not only is it good, it's pleasing. Oh, it's pleasing. That's the fresh aroma God wants to smell from you. Oh, it's so pleasing to him. And you know, it's better than that. It's perfect. Like it's everything you could ever imagine. It's far beyond your wildest dreams. So as we come back and go, no, God, I surrender. You go, here's all of me. I'm giving you all of me. God, I'm giving you all of me because it's only you. And then you get into that moment and go, oh, Lord, you're so faithful. You saw this. You knew it. We're going to sing that song today, declaring God's faithfulness. Oh, you're so faithful. You're so gracious, and you're so merciful. And the song we're singing, you know the old hymn if you've been around church for a while. There's this bridge in it that's new, and it says, Beginning to end, my life in your hands. That's an offering. That's what he wants from you. And look, if you do what's right, don't you think he'll accept you? Right? So would you stand with me as we sing this song and conclude this service?